Hi, my name is Eloise, and welcome to the Taking to the World Musical Theater Podcast, a podcast where I talk about musicals. On today's episode, I'm going to be continuing my series on the musical Cabaret, and I will be talking about the 1998 Broadway revival Cabaret, specifically looking at Act 2, and also talking a little bit in depth about some of the characters, main characters of the show. If you haven't listened to the past two episodes that I've had on Cabaret, which would be episodes 11 and 12, please do so. In episode 11, I tell you how you can get a hold and watch the musical Cabaret if you haven't done so yet, kind of go into a little bit about the history of the show and my experience with it. In episode 12, I talk about Act 1 of Cabaret. Because I've gone through Act 1, I'm not going to be doing a recap of that act, so if you want to know what happens in Act 1, just go back and listen to that episode. And obviously, because I'm talking about Act 2 of Cabaret, there's definitely going to be spoilers for this episode. If you want to subscribe to this podcast or listen to past episodes, you can do so by going to my blog, takingtotheworld.com. At the top of the page, there's the word podcast, and you can click that and go to past episodes of the show. You can also, when you click each post, it kind of gives you links to where you can listen to the cast recording, where you might be able to buy tickets if the show's running, watch the movie version if that's available, all that kind of jazz. Uh, I like to give a little warning that sometimes I get excited and I swear, so uh, listener discretion is kind of advised. Cabaret is also a musical that deals with adult themes and subject matter, so if you've got kids, you might want to listen to this episode first before letting them listen to it if they're interested. Same thing with seeing the musical itself. Cabaret is a musical that is not sung through, which means there are scenes of dialogue and very important scenes of dialogue between the songs. So I do recommend um, watching the musical first if you can. And in episode 11, I tell you some of the ways you can do that. If you don't want to do that, you can listen to episode uh, 12 and then this one. And basically, I'm just going to go through the entire show. Um, Yeah, I'm a musical theater enthusiast. I'm not an expert, so I will likely miss things. And again, I am only referencing the 98 revival version of this musical because there have been several different productions and different revivals of Cabaret. And they're all a little bit different from each other, and I can't get into all of them. So, and the 98 version is the one that I'm kind of the most familiar with. Like the previous episode, I have broken this into several different scenes and songs, but I'm not going to be referring to, like, Act 2, Scene 3, or anything like that. Alright, so let's get into Cabaret Act 2. So Act 2 of Cabaret opens up the Kit Kat Club. The characters in the scene are the MC and the Kit Kat Club girls, so in Act 1, Cabaret started with a song, which was Velkelman, and Act 2, it starts with a scene. And it, this is a very short opening scene. We see the Kit Kat Club girls dancing on stage in a kick line. Their backs are to the audience, and they start to count in German. And as they're counting, they start to rotate, and we can see the MC in the middle of the line. Uh, the music, I believe when it starts, it starts as Velkelman, or one of the kind of upbeat songs, but then it changes to the tune of Tomorrow Belongs to Me. But it's a very militarized kind of version of the song. They goose up off the stage and give a Nazi salute. The tone that's in Act 2 at the start is a lot different than the tone of Act 1's start. In Act 1, the song was about, you know, leaving your troubles behind and having fun and walking to the cabaret and it's all good. And for the opening scene of Act 2, the cabaret is showing us that we might still be at the Kit Kat Club, but there is something else going on and it's not something that can be ignored anymore. So next up, we have another scene. This takes place the morning after the dance at Herr Schultz's fruit shop, the sort of engagement party dance between Herr Schultz, or for Herr Schultz and Fräulein Schneider. Uh, so the setting here is at Herr Schultz's fruit shop, and the characters in this scene are Herr Schultz and Fräulein Schneider. So Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz are kind of discussing the party that happened the night before, and again, I'm not recapping what happened, so please go back and listen to the last episode to know what goes on. Uh, Fräulein Schneider tells Herr Schultz that she cannot ignore the Nazis anymore, and Herr Schultz tells her that there's also communists and socialists and social democrats, and any one of them can be voted out in the next election, and kind of not to worry about it. But Fräulein Schneider worries the Nazis are going to take away her license to rent rooms if they're in power. Herr Schultz tells her, It's not always a good thing to sell for the lowest apple on the tree, the easiest one to reach. Climb up, a little way, it's worth it. Up there the apples are so much more delicious. Fräulein Schneider talks about how they need to be sensible, and we've kind of seen in the show that she's a pretty pragmatic person. 
and Herr Schultz asks her how many meals she's eaten alone. And when she says about 20,000, he tells her to be sensible, that governments come and go. She helps him to peel an apple, or an orange for him, I should say, and then we transition to the first song of Act 2. The first song of Act 2 is a reprise of the song Married, which happened in Act 1. The setting still is Herr Schultz's fruit shop, and the characters in the scene are Herr Schultz and Fräulein Schneider. The MC is also there as a stand-in. Herr Schultz is singing the song, Fräulein Schneider is just watching. The MC, now I mentioned this in, a, in the previous episode, he's also in the scene when they first start kind of falling in love in the song It Couldn't Please Me More, where he's holding the pineapple. But as I explained in that episode, the MC from the Kit Kat Club didn't knock on their door and say, like, hi, I'd like to stand in your kitchen and hold this pineapple for you while you're dancing. The MC is just a symbolic thing, and it's the same kind of thing here. This song is non-diegetic. So this is a reprise of part of the song Married from Act 1. And in this reprise, Herr Schultz starts singing the chorus of Married, which was the song he sang non-diegetically when proposing to Fräulein Schneider. In that first full version of the song, Herr Schultz was trying to convince Fräulein Schneider that getting married isn't a foolish idea. And he's once again trying to convince her that going through with this marriage is a good idea, even if some people don't like that Herr Schultz is Jewish. Now, it's important to note that this song, we have the MC, like I said, standing between the two characters. And again, this is a symbolic thing. This shows us that Herr Schultz and Fräulein Schneider are divided. They are not on the same side. You literally have somebody in between them, like a symbolic kind of thing. So Herr Schultz starts singing the chorus, but he can't finish because the quote-unquote MC drops a brick between the two of them. Now, this is a theatrical way of showing the audience that someone, Nazis most likely, have thrown a brick through the window of the shop. So the song stops, and like we hear, there's like a sound effect of glass breaking, so we know it's, you know, being thrown through the window. Herr Schultz tries to console Schneider that it's just some kids being mischievous, and he asks her if she understands. She says she does, but we can tell that she understands something different than Herr Schultz. Herr Schultz wants Fräulein Schneider to understand that this isn't a problem. Fräulein Schneider understands that it is. As I mentioned before, in the last episode, I talked about how each of the songs that Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz have together, there's always another person there. In the first song, Couldn't Please Me More, it was the MC holding up the pineapple. And again, the MC wasn't literally there. It's a symbolic thing. In Married, the song Married, when Herr Schultz is proposing to Fräulein Schneider, we have Fräulein Koss singing part of the song in German. And again, I take it as she's not literally standing there. She's not in the room with them. It's a symbolism thing. And to me, the showcases that the relationship will not work out. And it couldn't please me more. We had the MC there, who we don't really know much about, but who has presented himself as a fun and flirtatious character. This is parallel to the start of Herr Schultz's romantic relationship with Fräulein Schneider. It's fun, it's lighthearted, it's all good. And the song Buried, we have Fräulein Kost, who we know at that point has issues with Fräulein Schneider. So it would seem odd to place a character in that scene, even as a symbol, if there wasn't an issue there or if it wasn't going to be an issue. And of course, when we find out that Fräulein Kost is a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer at the end of Act 1, it becomes more apparent that this relationship is in trouble. That brings us to the reprise, and here we have the MC again in the song as the symbol, which lulls us back into thinking that it will be like it couldn't please me more, because the MC was in that song, and that was the start of the relationship, and it was all good. But instead, he drops the brick, like a bombshell, showing us that there's still that presence, the Nazis, fascism that's going to be there. And since we don't know a lot about the MC, this could also be seen as the idea of you don't really know who your neighbors are. We still don't know kind of what political affiliation the MC has. And again, this isn't like the MC is actually there. This is a symbol, but this is to show us that you don't know who your neighbors are. You don't know what's going on. The rise of fascism and Nazism is happening and it's affecting this relationship. Next up, we have a song. The song is If You Could See Her. Setting takes place at the Kit Kat Club. And this is a, a song that's sung by the MC. There's a dancer on stage that doesn't sing. Now, this dancer is in a gorilla costume. The gorilla costume has a tutu dress on. The song is diegetic. It's a number that's sung by the MC that starts out very lighthearted and fun. You know, on stage, the MC is with this other performer that's dancing around in a gorilla suit, wearing a tutu. And the MC sings about how much he's in love with this character. He sings, when we're out walking together, they sneer if I'm holding her hand, but if they could see her through my eyes, Maybe they'd all understand. And it's kind of a ridiculous number because it's sort of done like an old-fashioned kind of song and dance number. 
like a song and dance musical number. It's very much a vaudeville style kind of thing, which is great. So you start thinking like, oh, we're back at the cabaret. You know, I, I know things are bad outside of the world of the cabaret, but everything's good inside the cabaret. This is just a fun, entertaining number. And it's very tongue-in-cheek and kind of over the top. But then the last line of the song comes on. And the last line the MC sings to us is, but if you could see her through my eyes, she wouldn't look Jewish at all. And let me just say, the first time I saw this musical, that sort of blew my mind. I was not expecting that at all. Now, it's not like this is the first character that we know who is Jewish, because it's not. It's, you know, this doesn't come out of nowhere. We know what's going on in Germany and Berlin, very broad strokes outside the cabaret. So this isn't some crazy thing that's happened. But for me, it was one of those moments where it kind of shook me and I just was flabbergasted. Like this is this is one of my favorite moments of theater that I've ever had in my life because I was the person, I was one of the people, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that see this musical for the first time and they're just enjoying the song and it's all good. And then that line hits and it's, oh shit, oh shit. And it's funny because right after that line, the band kicks in with this very kind of jaunty ending to the song. But instead of feeling relieved, like the MC misspoke or, you know, we're not supposed to think about that, or you start to understand things are still serious. And the seriousness of what's happening outside the cabaret, it's kind of infiltrating inside of the cabaret. I mean, it had to a point, but the thing is that in the first act, we're kind of lulled in this school. Life is cabaret and it's all good and listening to these fun numbers. And outside the cabaret, there's drama between Cliff and Sally and there's you know, what's going on with Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz, but you don't really think about like, oh shit, the Nazis until later in the act. And now we know that this is something that's going to affect the show. That jaunty ending isn't a, okay, now everything's fine. It's all good. It's more of a, oh, this feels out of place and this isn't good at all. This is not going to be good at all. The next scene, a scene that takes place in Cliff's room, characters on the scene are Cliff, Sally, and Fräulein Schneider. So first it's just Cliff and Sally, and then Fräulein Schneider comes in a little bit later. So Sally and Cliff are talking. Uh, Sally tells Cliff that the Kit Kat Club has hired her back. Cliff seems a bit suspicious of this, even though Sally kind of says it's because the club's been dead without her. And she points out that they need the money, and she doesn't really understand why he won't take those trips to Paris for Ernst, because they seem like a really easy way to make some money. And Cliff says he should sit her down and make her read a newspaper. Sally asks what politics has to do with the two of them. Cliff says, you're right. Nothing has anything to do with us, Sally. Don't you understand if you're not against all this, you're for it, or you might as well be. We're seeing a, a big divide between Cliff and Sally. We know that Cliff bought the, the book Mein Kampf because he wanted to do some research on politics in Germany at the time, but we didn't really know how politically interested he was. But once he understands that his you know friend Ernst is a Nazi and that the trips he'd been taking for him were to support Nazi causes, he understands this isn't a good thing. And he doesn't want anything to do with it. Whereas Sally doesn't have any sort of political notion at all. She just doesn't think that it, it concerns her. She just wants to sing at the cabaret. She wants to perform. She wants to have fun. The politics she doesn't care about. Cliff understands that silence is compliance. Or that staying ignorant to the situation is just as bad as perpetrating it. Then Berlin Schneider knocks on the door. And she has the crystal fruit bowl that Sally and Cliff had given to her and Herr Schultz for the engagement party. And Sally asks if there's something wrong with the bull, and Fräulein Schneider says she's returning it because her and Herr Schultz have called off the wedding. Cliff is disappointed and angry, and he says to her that she can't give up, and Fräulein Schneider tells him that it's easy for him to say. And then she sings the next song. So the next song takes place in the same scene. It's the same continuation of the scene in Cliff's room. Character singing is Fräulein Schneider, and Cliff and Sally are there, but they're not singing. The song is non-diegetic. So this song is called What Would You Do? And in the song, Fräulein Schneider is pointing out to Cliff that the young seem to have all the answers because of their youth. Time is on their side. But Fräulein Schneider is older, and usually in the show she's portrayed as someone I'd say in her mid-60s to maybe early 70s. She is tired. She wants to rent out her rooms to make a little bit of money to survive. She seems to know that things are getting worse. To me, Fräulein Schneider is a very pragmatic person, and Cliff is to a point too. He, he kind of gets overwhelmed and sucked into the whole cabaret lifestyle but once they understand like once they kind of see oh the nazis are here and, and this is a thing and, and fascism 
the characters, they this is 1930, so they don't know everything that's going to happen. But they can understand, those two characters, I think, understand that what's about to happen isn't good. Berlin Schneider sings with a storm in the wind, what would you do? But this is the thing. She's a very pragmatic person, but she's old. She doesn't want to fight. She doesn't want to run away, which she points out that both Cliff and Sally can do. Cliff is American. He can go back to America. Sally is English. She can go back to England. Fräulein Schneider is German. This is her home. This is the only home she's known. She wants to stay still. She doesn't support this cause from what I, I can tell from the show. She doesn't want to leave her home. She's Both her and Herr Schultz are a little bit uh, stubborn, and I think that happens when people get older to a point. She wants to stay where she is. This is what she knows. She sings to Cliff that it's easy for him to judge her and to say that, you know, she should just do this. But she doesn't want to fight. She doesn't want to run. She just wants to rent out her rooms, make a little bit of money, and live her life. You know, from editing Eloise, I also forgot to mention that this song, What Would You Do?, is directly breaking the fourth wall and asking us, the audience, what would we do in this situation? It's not just directed to the characters of Cliff and Sally. It's also directed to us. What would we do? So the song ends, and we get the last speaking scene with Fräulein Schneider. Sally and Cliff and Fräulein Schneider, and we're still in Cliff's room, and this is still a continuation of the previous song slash scene. And Cliff tells Fräulein Schneider that no matter what happens, she and Herr Schultz will have each other. And of course, he doesn't realize this, but with Herr Schultz being Jewish, we, the audience, know that this is likely not true. Of course, this is a fictional story, although historically there's some real events happening. So maybe we can assume Herr Schultz and Herr Schneider could get out before things got too bad. This is in 1930, and again, the world doesn't realize how bad things are going to get. But knowing how stubborn Herr Schultz is and how stubborn Fräulein Schneider is, neither of them will probably want to leave the home that they know. And if we think about the reality of the situation, there likely isn't a happy ending for Herr Schultz and Fräulein Schneider being together. And there likely isn't a very happy ending for Herr Schultz because we know he's Jewish and he's older, so he would have likely, you know, been killed in the concentration camps. And if you want to be optimistic and think to yourself, oh no, I bet you that they get saved, they run away, they escape, maybe, I don't know, Oscar Schindler saves them. Again, th these are fictional characters. These aren't based on real people from what I understand. At least these two characters are. I understand that Sally Bowles was based on a real person, although not necessarily exactly the same as this character in the show. Just based on these characters, it's pretty clear to me that there isn't a happy ending for, at least, there's definitely not a happy ending for Herr Schultz. And Herr Schultz and Fräulein Schneider, they, they, I don't think they would have stayed together. Fräulein Schneider says for her last line in the show, all of my life I've managed for myself, and it's too old a habit to change. I have battled alone, and I have survived. There was a war, and I survived. There was a revolution, and I survived. There was an inflation, billions of marks for one loaf of bread, but I survived. And if the Nazis come, I will survive. And if the communists come, I will still be here renting these rooms. For in the end, what other choice have I? This is my world. I regret very much returning to Fruit Bowl. It is truly magnificent. I regret everything. The very last line that Pearl Schneider speaks, we understand her character. We, we get that she's very pragmatic. She doesn't want to leave her home. She knows things are going to get bad, but she's going to stay and just live her life and be resilient. And one of the things that I thought about, too, as I was thinking about the show, was how in the original 1966 Broadway production of this musical, this was written during the Cold War when Berlin was still a divided city, and of course... Fräulein Schneider talks about, if the communists come, I will still be here, which eventually they did after the war. Fräulein Schneider exits the scene. Now, she does appear at the very end of the musical, but she doesn't sing anything there, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. So the next scene is Cliff and Sally talking in the room after Fräulein Schneider leaves, and Sally asks Cliff if she should say anything to Fräulein Schneider, and Cliff asks what good would that do? Now, Sally believes that everything is going to work out, and she does this impression of Fräulein Schneider from the first scene when they uh, originally met, when Sally come to Cliff's room. And Cliff isn't very impressed with this impression. He says it's not funny, and Sally complains that he doesn't find anything funny, and she has to go back to the club to rehearse because Kit Kat Club wants her back. Cliff then tells her that, no, they're going to go home to America. She's going to come with him, and they're going to go to America. And she's surprised and says she wants to keep working at the club until November, to save some money to buy the baby some nice things. And Cliff tells her, Sally, wake up. The party's over. It was lots of fun, but now it's over. So how could we live here? How could we raise a family? 
He tells her that they've got to leave and she should start packing. He exits the scene with his typewriter. Me being me, I decided to look up if there was anything that important that had happened in November of 1930 in Germany. You know, if there was a reason. Because they, maybe the show just said November because it would be about nine months away when Sally would be due with the baby. Or maybe there was something more, you know, historically pressing with that time period. Uh, so the only thing I found was in November of 1930, Johann Heinrich von Bernstock, who was a German politician and former German ambassador to the U.S., demanded military parity between Germany and the Allies at the League of Nations preparatory disarmament conference in Geneva, but the commission rejected the request and said the Treaty of Versailles must stand. Treaty of Versailles was the treaty that was signed after World War I that said that Germany had to um, make reparations for the war. Historically, it's hard to say if there was one specific cause that fueled Hitler's rise to power a few years later, but I think this was one of the reasons that sort of helped to fuel that. And next we have the song, I Don't Care Much. So this takes place at the Kit Kat Club. The character singing as the MC and the song is diegetic. I find I Don't Care Much to be a very interesting song because this is the only solo number that the MC has. And as I pointed out, we kind of don't really know who the MC is. He's the MC of the Kit Kat Club, but we don't know anything about him personally. The song the MC is singing, I don't care, go or stay, I don't care very much either way. To me, first of all, this just kind of showing us you know, it, it's a symbolic parallel to how Sally and Cliff's relationship is starting to break down. I think it's also aimed to the audience because the MC is singing to us and he's kind of saying, I don't care if you stay, I don't care if you go. It sort of brings in this question of how invested are we, not, not just like in the musical, like for entertainment value, but considering what's happening in the world of the show historically, how much do we care? Are we just here for the entertainment and the fun? Or do we understand that there's something more happening for the show? So I think this song kind of reiterates that. And of course, with the MC, we don't really know who he is as a character. We just know he's the MC of the Kit Kat Club. And maybe he's really sad and really singing this song. And it's a very personal, heartbreaking kind of thing for him. Or maybe it's just an act that he's putting on. Again, we don't know this. And I think that's really one of the interesting things about the MC is you could read his character in many different ways. And depending on the production that you see, you could see his character in many different ways. You know, it could be portrayed in many different ways. That song ends and we get a scene that takes place at the Kit Kat Club. And the characters in the scene are Sally, Max, and Cliff, and Max being the owner of the Kit Kat Club. Sally and Max are kissing. Cliff sees this and pulls her away. It's important to remember that Sally and Cliff kind of have an open relationship. It's not, you know, entirely defined as polyamorous or anything like that in the show, but we understand that they're both kind of seeing other people or that they're open to seeing other people. Cliff and Sally argue. Cliff says that they need to leave. Sally makes a remark that they'll be living off Cliff's mom's charity. She had sent $50 to them before in Act 1. And Cliff says that he'll get a job, and Sally points out that the stock market has crashed. The stock market crashed September 1929, so that would have been only a few months earlier. Sally says it's a sure thing if they stay in Berlin and she keeps performing. She can keep making money, they'll get money for the baby, it'll be good. Cliff tells her the only way she's gotten to where she is is by sleeping around. She gets angry and leaves. Max stops Cliff from going after Sally. So Sally leaves. Ernst then comes in to offer Cliff another business trip to Paris. Cliff refuses and is very upset with Ernst after realizing that he's a Nazi and that Cliff has kind of been complicit in helping Ernst with these trips and giving Ernst's friends, who are likely Nazis too, English lessons. Ernst says that they shouldn't be concerned with politics because the two of them are friends. And Ernst offers Cliff more money, 150 marks instead of 75 marks, to take another trip to Paris. Ernst comments that he knows Cliff needs the money, so Cliff's refusal to take any more of these trips must have, quote, something to do with that Jew at the party, end quote. Of course, referring to Herr Schultz. Now, this pisses Cliff off, and he punches Ernst. Max and the Kit Kat Club bar bodyguards uh, come in to Ernst's aid and beat up Cliff. The lights fade, and we get a song. The next song is the song Cabaret. Now, Cabaret is, this is a self-titled song. It's the titular song of the musical. This is the 11 o'clock number. If there's one song that you probably have heard from Cabaret, it is likely this song. The setting takes place at the Kit Kat Club. Uh, we have Sally singing the song. The MC is at the very beginning introducing Sally, and the song is diegetic. 
So the MC comes on stage and introduces Sally Bull, kind of like he does before the song Don't Tell Mama, which was the first time Sally came on stage and sang for us. Except this time it's a lot less energetic and it's a lot more despondent. Instead of like, meine Damen und Herren, and, you know, being very excited and, you know, welcome Sally Bowles kind of thing. It's like, meine Damen und Herren, like just, it's very apathetic, very sad, very, like the energy is drained. And Sally sings the song Cabaret. Again, this is the song that you have likely heard if you've heard a song from this musical. So the song Cabaret is kind of an interesting song because it starts off being this fun, jaunty number. And I mentioned this with the song, maybe this time, where if you hear the song and just the song out of the context of the show, you would think that like, oh, maybe this time is an unrequited love song and it's kind of nice. But that's not really what the song is about. And Cabaret is kind of the same thing. Because there's something that's happening that we find out that happens in the next scene of the song where we go, oh, okay, so Cabaret was kind of about that too. So Sally's singing about how life is a cabaret and come to the cabaret and it starts out very fun and very jaunty. So that first part's very fun, very life is a cabaret, come to the cabaret as the song says, very upbeat. But it's different than the first songs in the first act because Sally then starts to sing about her friend Elsie. The next part she sings that she used to have a girlfriend known as Elsie, with whom she shared four sorted rooms in Chelsea. She wasn't what she called Lush and Flower, as a matter of fact, she rented by the hour. So she sings about this character that she knows, Elsie, which again, you know, maybe she really knows a person named Elsie, maybe this is just somebody she made up. She's his girlfriend, so we could say that maybe the two of them were just friends, maybe they were lovers, we don't know. But what we find out is that Elsie was a party girl, she liked to party, she had fun, and she's dead. So Sally sings about how she sees Elsie's corpse, and she was laid out like a queen, and she was the happiest corpse she'd ever seen. The song kind of takes a bit of a weird sort of dark turn, because now we're focusing on this character who we know is a party girl. I don't want to say carpe diem kind of thing, but very much a you know, you only live one life kind of attitude sort of thing is what we can infer from this song that Elsie had. And it's, to me, this is very much a parallel of Sally herself. Sally is very much about enjoying life, having fun, going to parties. Is Sally a character that is going to meet a very sad and tragic, untimely demise from too much pills and liquor as Elsie did? Possibly. Then the song gets... Instead of being upbeat and happy, it gets more of this very manic, rushed tone. Sally starts to get kind of angry. She starts to get very forceful when she sings, Start by admitting from cradle to tomb isn't that long a stay. And she ends life with a cabaret old chum, only cabaret old chum, and I love cabaret. And it's very, like I said, it's very manic. It's very kind of dark. And it's, I mean, cabaret is a very fun song. And if you listen to the song out of context from the musical, you just go, oh, this is a fun song, and you don't really focus on that part. But once you start watching the show and you understand what's happening, and the more I watch it, the more I go, oh, okay, this means this, and this is this. And, you know, the Cabaret is one of those shows where the more I watch it, the more I get from it. And I, it's one of those shows that I could watch again and again, and I could find something new. Like, I could do an episode on this a year later and go, oh, shit, here's another aspect that I totally didn't think about. And as I mentioned before, with this podcast episode, I'm definitely going to miss some things. But that's kind of what I get from that number. It's one of the most famous, I would say, 11 o'clock numbers, which is like the big swan song the character sings at the, you know, almost the, not the very last number of the show, but like usually the second or third last number of the show. It's one of those songs, like I said, if you don't know the show, you're just going to think, oh, this is just a fun number. Woohoo, cabaret. Life is a cabaret. But once you see the show, you go, oh, shit. Okay. Herr Schultz comes in and says goodbye in the next scene. So this is a scene. takes place in Cliff's room. It's the morning after the fight and the cabaret song. The characters in the scene are Cliff, Herr Schultz, and Sally. So Herr Schultz comes in to say goodbye to Cliff. We learn he's going to move to another part of the neighborhood to make it easier for Furlan Schneider. Herr Schultz notices Cliff packing and asks if he's leaving. And Cliff says that he and Sally are going to go to America. Herr Schultz remarks that maybe he should go to America, and Cliff suggests he should. Then Herr Schultz says that the troubles here will pass. He says, I know I am right, because I understand the Germans. After all, what am I? A German. Sally comes in, and Herr Schultz says goodbye to her, and he gives her some Italian oranges from the shop. 
Cliff wishes Herr Schultz Mazel a callback to the first time they met. Uh, Herr Schultz says Mazel, luck is what they all need in Herr Schultz loose. So this is the last scene that Herr Schultz is in where he speaks a line. He's in the last scene of the show along with Fräulein Schneider and some of the other characters, but they don't speak. The scene continues on with just Cliff and Sally, and Cliff tells Sally that he's packed for her. She sees the bruises on his face, and he jokes that she should see the other guys. There's not a mark on them. He apologizes for the night before and says they should forget about what happened. Sally remarks that she needs a spot in gin, and Cliff asks if she should have a drink in her condition, you know, with her being pregnant. He notices that she's cold, and she's not wearing her fur coat, and he asks where her coat is. And it's here that we learn that Sally had to pawn or sell her coat to get money to go to the doctor because she's had an abortion. Sally says she thinks Cliff would have made a wonderful father. Cliff slaps her. Sally says, isn't it funny? It always ends this way. Even when I do finally love someone quite terribly for the first time, but it's still not quite enough. I'd spoil it, Cliff. I'd run away with the first exciting thing that came along, or you would. And Cliff tells her that he wouldn't have done that if there was a baby. They would have stayed together, and Sally tells him that that's a terrible burden for an infant to bear. Cliff gives Sally her ticket and tells her that he's going to be staying in Paris before he leaves for America via steamship. Kind of as a, you know, I hope you'll kind of come and join me. Sally says that she's always hated Paris, which is a little bit ironic. She was the one telling Cliff that he should take those trips for Ernst, where he was going to Paris. And she tells Cliff to dedicate his book to her. Cliff leaves. That's the last scene with Sally in it, where she speaks. And so that's what I mean when I say the song Cabaret kind of has a bit of a different meaning to it because we realize afterwards now it's not necessarily like I think in the show Sally is singing the song Cabaret at the at the Kit Kat Club it's not a symbolic thing where she's not actually there as you know with maybe this time that was a scene that where it looks like she's performing at the Kit Kat Club but she's not it's kind of an internal monologue that we're seeing being performed out for us I see Cabarets in this musical as Sally is at the Cabaret singing this song but we understand that during this, um, not necessarily during that performance, but that night or maybe the next morning, she went and had this portion. In the song, maybe this time Sally had been, you know, we, we understand that Sally was kind of wondering if she should stay with Cliff and if she should have the baby or if she should have an abortion. In the song Cabaret, we understand that Sally has gotten this abortion or we understand afterwards. Not necessarily that that took place during that song, but that that's kind of one of the layers to that song. So then we have a scene. Uh, the scene takes place in a train car, which bookends the scene at the very first part, um, the first dialogue scene that we had in the first act. The characters in the scene are the Cliff and the MC who plays like a train official. Uh, so the train announcement comes on in German. I translated it because of course I'm going to do that. And it basically just says that this is a you know final announcement for the Berlin to Paris Express. It's departing at four o'clock on platform 17. And everybody should get it. So the MC appears as a passport control official, you know, train official kind of person. And he has Cliff for his passport and says that he hopes he'll be back in Germany soon. And Cliff says that that's unlikely. And the officer asks if he did not find Germany beautiful. And Cliff says that he did. And the officer wishes Cliff a good journey. Cliff pulls out his notebook and he starts to write down. He says, there was a cabaret and there was a master of ceremonies. And there was a city called Berlin and a country called Germany. And it was the end of the world. And I was dancing with Sally Bowles and we were both fast asleep. Now, this was something that came to me. I've seen this musical a few times. I, I love this show, and I did not really think about this, but I then realized in a very, no, this is about to get very sad and very dark. I then started to think, oh shit. Cliff was leaving on a train because he was able to leave. He had the freedom to go back to America. But of course, later on, there would be many people who would leave cities in Germany, Germany and towns in Germany, and, and not just in Germany, but in other countries too, where the, the Nazis took over to go to the concentration camps. Cliff chose to leave Berlin. He had the privilege to do this. Sally and Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz chose to stay. Fräulein Schneider and Sally may have been safe. It's hard to say. Herr Schultz, as I mentioned before, likely wasn't. And he probably left on a train, but unlike Cliff, he didn't get to choose where he was going. And knowing Herr Schultz is Jewish and knowing that he's older, we can infer that he likely wouldn't have survived. So then we get the final song of the show. Final song is just called Finale, so it's nice and easy to remember. The setting, we're still on the train to Paris, but the setting kind of changes to white space at the end, which I'll, I'll get to in a second. Characters in this song are the Cliff who are singing and the MC who is singing. Now, it's hard to tell if this song is 
non-diegetic or diegetic. I think it just sort of depends on your interpretation because I could see this as either way. This is the second and the last time that Cliff sings in this musical. The only other time he sang was in the song Perfectly Marvelous where he's, you know, agreeing to let Sally stay with him. And this time he's he and the MC are singing a short little reprise of the first few lines of Wilkman, which was the, you know, the first song of the show. So the MC addresses the audience as a callback to Wilkman. He says, Madame and Inherent, Mesdames and Messieurs, ladies and gentlemen, where are your troubles now? Forgotten? I told you so. Here life is beautiful. The girls are beautiful. Even the orchestra is beautiful. And we hear music playing out of tune, and then it is revealed that there's an orchestra. I will mention in the 1993 London Revival, if you watch that because it is online, there is an orchestra and the company joins in for a reprise of the song. And in the 1998 revival, only the MC sings after this point. In the 98 revival, we see Fräulein Schneider, Herr Schultz, Fräulein Kost, and Ernst appearing together in a line walking downstage. They don't speak. We see the background kind of pull up and move away to show the rest of the company. In the 93 version, these characters all say a line, but in the 98 version, nobody else speaks aside from the NC at this point. So then we get the last scene of the show. This takes place in a void slash a white space slash a concentration camp because the MC says a vida scene, abiento, but he doesn't get to finish the English part of saying goodbye. He takes off his coat and we see that the MC is wearing the clothes of a concentration camp prisoner. There is a drum roll, a cymbal crash, the lights go down, and the music ends. I believe in the original production, the MC is just wearing the, the Star of David to show that he's Jewish. A more recent adaptation, he also has a pink triangle showing that the MC would be part of the LGBTQ community and a red star. In concentration camps, there wasn't a red star, but apparently there was a red triangle, which was a very catch-all thing for political prisoners, social democrats, liberals, socialists, communists, anarchists, gentiles who assisted Jews, trade unionists, and Freemasons. So basically, like, a, a lot of people. So I'm not sure if by having a red star with five points, that would mean that there's, you know, several triangles and this would overlap some of the categories. I think it's more of a symbolic thing to show that while Cliff was a proxy for the audience, Cliff was the newcomer to Berlin as we are the newcomers to the show. Cliff gets introduced to the world of cabaret and gets sucked in as we, the audience, get sucked into the show. The MC is a proxy for everyone who was sent to the concentration camps. And, and again, you could see the MC as a character, a real character. This was a guy, we could say his name was john for example and he was the mc at this kit kat club and he went to the concentration camp or you could see the mc in this context as being a symbol he was for the scenes between uh Fräulein schneider and herr schultz although to me i see this as this is this character this person who is in this concentration camp i mean and you could view it the other way i don't think i think you could see it both ways i, I don't think that's a wrong interpretation to me, because Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz aren't in the scene, I don't necessarily see it as this is a symbol. Although, again, I do see the MC in this regard as a proxy for all the people that were sent to the concentration camps in Germany and in Europe in, you know, the 1930s and 40s. So that is the end of Cabaret. Cabaret is a really fun musical for a good portion of the show. And then it gets very sad and very serious. And then at the end, it's one of those shows that, you know, there's a lot of musicals that end with like a big act two number that's big and fun and it's but the end of cabaret the last song is a very small song that's just a reprise of a few lines the last scene is a very sad isolating kind of serious solemn kind of thing that happens where you kind of go oh yeah so i totally got sucked into this world of the cabaret having fun and just watching the show and not really thinking about what was happening and then all this stuff starts to happen you go oh shit so that's cabaret that's definitely one of my favorite musicals I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the main characters. I'm not going to talk about everybody in the show because that would be a little bit crazy. And, you know, they're characters like the Kit Kat Club performers where we don't really know anything about them as a character. But I'm going to talk about, I would say, the five main characters. Cliff Sally, the MC, Berlin Schneider, and Herr Schultz. Berlin, as presented in this musical, is Temptation. And... The four main characters, you know, aside from the MC, they're all tempted by something different. Now, Cliff is tempted by money. He wants to make money, be a writer, and by family, by this idea of having this, you know, sort of perfect family when he finds out that Sally is pregnant. Sally, to me, is tempted by fame and notoriety. She wants to keep working at the Kit Kat Club. And the thing that we see in this show is 
The Kit Kat Club in Germany isn't portrayed to be the greatest entertainment thing in the whole world. This isn't portrayed to be like, oh, Sally's working at the Kit Kat Club and now she's going to be a famous actress. We, we can see this is kind of what she wants, but it's not like, oh my God, look at the Kit Kat Club in Berlin. Anybody who's anybody's performed there. And, you know, it's not considered to be like the Moulin Rouge in Paris kind of deal. It's just like this seedy little club in Berlin that Sally likes performing at. She And the thing with Sally is she's a performer. She just wants to be on stage. She wants people to notice her. She wants to sing her heart out. Is she going to be the world's next big star? The next Marlena Dietrich? No, not necessarily. Now we get Herr Schultz and he's tempted by love. He's just a sweet little man that falls in love with Roland Schneider. And when he does, he, he just, I don't want to say loses himself, but he goes, oh, I'm in love. And this is all perfect. And this is wonderful. And he's love, love, love. Roland Schneider is tempted by stability and, you know, being very practical and pragmatic, as I said before. Now, the MC is interesting because, to me, he's a proxy for the setting, which is Berlin in the 1930s and its residents and people, at least at the beginning of the show. He helps to structure the story in the songs. But for most of the musical, we don't know him. He doesn't have a name. We don't know anything about his personal life or his interests. And even the songs that he sings, like Two Ladies or I Don't Care Much, we can hypothesize that this could be the MC's personality, but we don't really know. It could also just be an act for the cabaret. And we don't really know much about any of the characters, aside from the other four, I should say. So Cliff, Sally, Froelen Schneider, and Herr Schultz. We know a little bits and pieces, but for many of them, there's a hesitation, like for Cliff, to fully embrace what the MC says. When the MC talks about enjoying yourself and having fun, Cliff comes to Berlin. He's a little bit hesitant at first, but then he kind of follows under the spell of what's happening. Or you get somebody like Sally, who just sort of glosses over things. We learn that Sally doesn't really care about politics. She doesn't think it's a big deal that Ernst is a Nazi or Cliff can go to Paris and make money. It's all good. We get Fräulein Schneider, who has a little bit of a resignation to let whatever happened happen and to be, in a way, complacent, to stay quiet, to kind of try to stay out of the way. And then we got Herr Schultz, who is a lot like Sally, who doesn't really want to face the reality of what's happening and who believes that love can endure Herr Schultz has this idea that him and Fräulein Schneider could be together and it would be perfect and you, we can just vote out the Nazis in the next election and it doesn't really matter. We, in the audience in the future, we know that shit's going to go down and it's not going to be good, but these characters don't know this. So the MC acts as a bridge, although not literally, between the realistic characters of Cliff and Fräulein Schneider, who can kind of see what's happening or get a glimpse of it, and to those who hold on to the fantasy for much longer, which would be Sally and Herr Schultz. And the MC also acts as a bridge outside the reality, or between the reality outside the cabaret, like what's actually going on in Berlin and in Germany, and between the fantasy that's happening inside. When the MC tells us to forget our troubles, he's not just referring to the troubles happening during the setting of the musical, but he's also breaking the fourth wall and telling us, the audience, to forget our own troubles. That that issue at work, or the fight you've had, or whatever's happening in your own life, to just leave it behind and just enjoy the show, because you're in the magical world of theatre, where people sing their emotions, where problems are fixed with a literal song and dance number. So don't worry what's going on for real. Lose yourself in the spectacle of Cabaret. Cabaret, as in the Kit Kat Club, it's a bubble of sorts from the reality that's happening outside. It's own kind of world. But of course, bubbles can burst, and in a figurative sense, that's what happens. The reality outside the life of Cabaret, outside the Kit Kat Club, is a lot different and darker and more sober than what's happening inside. Cliff and Sally are sort of inside and adjacent to this Kit Kat Club reality bubble. Sally performs at the Kit Kat Club. Cliff has gone to the Kit Kat Club. But here's the thing that's interesting with this musical is Froelein Schneider and Herr Schultz have nothing to do with Kit Kat Club. We don't see them go there. They don't talk about the Kit Kat Club. They never enter the Kit Kat Club. The only characters they interact who've been to the club that we know of are Cliff, Sally, Ernst, and of course the MC and the symbolic part of It Couldn't Please Me More and Married. And again, it's not really the MC. It's a simple thing, blah, blah, blah. There's this reality, or there's this bubble that the Kit Kat Club is in. And the bubble that exists for Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz, there's also a bubble for them too, because it's their relationship. But of course, we see that bubble bursting when we learn that Herr Schultz is Jewish. And then when we find out that his so somebody's thrown a brick in the fruit shop, and we go, oh, okay, shit, things are going to go down, and not in a good way. Sally, in a sense, is kind of like a manic pixie, 
pixie dream girl to me, but I think she has a little bit more agency than that character trope, but we still don't really know a lot about her as far as her background goes. The MC says that she's the toast of Mayfair, and she's got an English accent. We know she is from England, probably, but we don't actually know if she's really from the Mayfair area of London, which is a, a very high-end area of the city, at least for that time period. I don't know if it still is. And when she first meets Cliff, she tells him that she used to pretend that she was someone mysterious and fascinating, and then she realized she was mysterious and fascinating. Now, is this because the pretending and the lies eventually blurred into reality and she couldn't differentiate between reality and fantasy? Is she really this, you know, high-end Mayfair area person that's traveled off to Europe when she was on a school trip and started performing in a cabaret, like she said in the song Don't Tell Mama? Or is this just an act? Again, we don't know. That's basically, in a sense, what Cabaret does. Not to the same extent, but Cabaret keeps reality at an arm's length. There's It sort of blurs this line between what is happening for real and what is sort of pretend. The reality of Fräulein Schneider needing to rent out a room and get some money, and there's the reality of Cliff being a broke writer who needs to find a place to live, there's the reality of Sally needing a place to stay after Max kicks her out. There's the reality of Sally being pregnant and later getting abortion. There's the reality of Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz falling in love and then that relationship deepening and eventually ending. But there's another reality. There's the reality of the rise of fascism and Nazism and eventually the Holocaust and World War II that would come in, not necessarily within the world of the show until the very end. Cabaret strikes this really interesting uh, dichotomy between what's happening for real and and what's fantasy and i think cabaret does a really great job at making the audience forget where you are because you know i i, I knew the show took place sometime in the 1920s or 30s in berlin and i you know learned about world war ii in school and it wasn't like i was like what's a nazi i've never heard of that term before you get lulled into this sense of security of you know life's a cabaret and welcome and forget your troubles and here you are in the theater and you do that you kind of lose yourself to the show and then when the reality hits you it becomes that much more intense because you go oh shit I was kind of complacent forgetting what was actually going on there's more to the story than the fun song and dance numbers that are happening in the show and the thing when you listen to the musical for the cast recording the important things that happen happen in the scenes of the show they don't happen in the songs. Most of the songs take place in the cabaret where they're just fun cabaret numbers. There aren't a lot of songs in the show aside from a few between Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz and some with Sally and Cliff that actually relate to the plot of the show. So you can listen to this musical and just listen to the songs, not know anything about the show and have a totally different impression of what the show is about. You would go, oh, this is just a really fun show about a couple of people that fall in love with each other and then it's all good and then it's not good. They break up for some reason, who knows why. That's why it's one of those shows where you definitely want to watch it and not just, I mean, the songs are great. I love the songs, but it's definitely one of those shows where you can't just listen to the songs. You have to kind of know what's happening. So hopefully you've learned enough about Cabaret to know what's going on because I basically kind of just told you everything. Cliff to me denies reality for a bit but then he comes back to it. He understands that life isn't just a Cabaret, that there's more to it than that. Fräulein Schneider understands the reality in some ways but she wants to kind of look the other way for some of it or kind of hide away because she just wants to, like I said in, in the last song that she sings, What Would You Do? She just wants to keep living her life. She doesn't like what the Nazis are doing necessarily. She doesn't want to be a part of it. She just wants to keep living her life and just survive. Sally doesn't really care what's going on outside of the world of cabaret. She's more concerned with performing and getting attention that kind of way. And Herr Schultz thinks that reality can be changed, that, you know, the power of love can overcome all. Not necessarily that he thinks him and Fräulein Schneider are going to, you know, stop fascism or anything like that. But he thinks that this can all change because elections can happen and people can get voted out. But that's not what happened in, in, in a historical context. Every, for a lot of the musical, it goes into this sort of fantasy world and, you know, losing yourself in this nightclub and the seedy underbelly, but in a fun kind of way at Berlin. It goes into fantasy because the reality is too dark. I, I was thinking about it and I was trying to consider musicals that are either take place during World War II or about World War II and, and Nazis and fascism and all that. And the only two musicals I could kind of think of that deal with the subject, aside from Cabaret, were The Sound of Music and The Producers. 
Now, The Sound of Music is about Maria von Trapp and the von Trapp kids and takes place in Austria, either during or right before World War II. But the thing is, is the musical isn't about the war itself. It's about the relationship that Maria has with this family and the, the romance between her and Captain von Trapp. So even though it takes place in that time period and in that setting, we're not seeing, it's, it's not a, a singing and dancing musical about Nazis. The other musical that sort of deals with Nazis is a satirical musical. It's the producers by Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks being Jewish and the musical being about two producers who are trying to have this scheme where they make money by getting a bunch of people to invest in this show that's going to flop. So they on purpose pick a musical I think it's going to flop so they pick a musical called springtime for hitler and in that show mel brooks you know being jewish is punching up to uh nazis and hitler and, and all of that but again it's not a musical that takes place it's not a musical that really deals with the reality of the situation and i don't think you should have a musical where there's a bunch of where it's a bunch of singing and dancing nazis in a realistic setting because that's just getting too dark this is just a note from editing Eloise that I should also mention that's the reason why the finale of this show is a rather bleak and kind of somber number rather than a big song and dance number like a lot of musicals, because having a big song and dance number taking place at a concentration camp would be wildly inappropriate and disrespectful, and I think having a rather understated and somber tone, which juxtaposes the rest of the show or most of the show, is a lot more effective. And I think Cabaret strikes a really good balance between that because we, we don't see Ernst uh, singing a song about how much he likes Hitler or something like that because that would just be a bit too jarring. The fantasy stays within the world of the Cabaret and the reality outside the Cabaret eventually kind of seeps in and it, it makes it a little bit, I don't want to say stronger, but it, it kind of gives us more of a shock. For me, when I watched the musical for the first time, and, you know, the MC sings at the end of If You Could See Her Through My Eyes, and he sings about how she wouldn't look Jewish at all. That was a very shocking moment for me because I was, again, totally lulled into this false sense of security of we're back at the cabaret and everything's fine. And then you go, oh, shit, no, not everything's fine. Things are getting bad. Cabaret sticks a really great balance between that because you can listen to the cabaret songs and you can have a lot of fun. But when you watch the musical as a whole, you understand that there's a lot more to it than that. So that's Cabaret, one of my top five favorite musicals. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. It's kind of all over the place, but I think I've kind of said what I want to say for this show. And again, this is a really great musical. If you get a chance to ever see it live on stage, please do, because it's fantastic. I will have links to where you can watch the, the movie version, which is a little bit different, the, the Broadway production. Hopefully, if, if you know Broadway reopens anytime soon, uh, because I'm recording this during the time of COVID, there will eventually be another production of Cabaret put on at some point, because I think it's one of these shows that is very timeless. It's got a great message. It's It's got some great musical theater numbers. It's got a great theme. There's great characters and, and story and the setting, the costumes, the set design for Cabaret. It, it's, it's a really well done musical. Every production I've seen of this show, and I've seen production on Broadway and two local productions in Edmonton and I've loved them all and I will always 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 go see this musical if I ever get a chance to see it and I really encourage you to do the same so thank you very much for listening to this episode and I hope you have a great day